7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Thank you. That is me. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Luyolo Mkalipi is the producer and uh, Sylvester Komane is in technical uh, with us uh, this evening. And uh, very good evening, everybody. There is a story that we didn't get to yesterday and we're going to get to that uh, shortly. But tonight on the show, we are going to talk mainly about the business of sport. We want to look at the top global sports industry trends and see what we can pick up and learn from what's happening around the world. A few weeks ago, I attended uh, a Nelson breakfast and I was completely blown away by what is happening in the world of sport and uh, we have invited uh, a guest to come and talk to us about these trends and in a few minutes we will be speaking to Mr. Kelvin Water, Managing Director uh, of uh, Africa and Middle East for Nielsen Sports and he will tell us about this global sport industry uh, trends. But before all of that, as I said, we're going to get to a story that we couldn't get to yesterday because of our conversation with Mr. Brian Van Royen, the former SARU President and former Sports Minister Mr. Nonde Balfour when we spoke about the year Louis Late took Nelson Mandela to court and there has been so much reaction to this interview and we've put up the podcast on social media on SAFM radio Twitter account and also my account Tabiso Musia for those uh, that have missed it. But before we get uh, to our big story, we also caught up with boxer Murutim Talane. He's back from Malaysia. That's where he fought on the Mani Pacquiao undercard and he beat Pakistan's uh, Musim, uh, Wasim Mohammed rather on points uh, and uh, we remember that Murutim Talan was inactive for some time because he was stripped of his uh, and he was stripped of his IBF title because he was inactive and this is the same title now that he was fighting for in Malaysia against uh, Mohammed Wasim. It was a vacant title. It was on the undercard of uh, Manny Pacquiao and Lucas Matese and we just thought we should catch up with Murutim Talan to find out how is he recovering, uh, how he feels and what does the future hold for him and I just began by asking him how is he recovering after a few days um, of the fight. Mm, sitting did you feel that you had something to prove after losing the same belt for being inactive? Mm. And uh, how mm. were the preparations are going into the fight, Muruti? Shooting match on the preparations. months Two and a half months, and that's good thing. In a fighting on 15 go to life. So, the preparations were slowly, so good. Kupura and a con shooting action to the young end of before he fighted the Hambera Sekakula, Goko Begum Pazam Sea. You went Kabango Tikung and the same routine was Ukmova. And let's talk about your win now. What do you think worked for you in that fight against Mohammed Wasim? Mm especially because it did knock you down later on in the fight, but mm. were you still confident uh, that you still had it in control? and working with Colin Nathan for this one, how was it? No, shooting national in just sitting at your inang seven son or calling net in a Kabanga seven son of a Sega Kula, Woko Pazamsa, seven son and Jiga Sega There was a time, baby face, when you were inactive. I mean, how was your spirit then when you were not fighting and when you were stripped of your title? Shooting spirit is a sea passing a cool lap on Kabanga. Mm-hmm. 
ikeria yami igute kakulu manje kuipoxing joba ngangu mpeta omsabu ipf nga itifender raifo ya pinde nga iluza ge ngogwe nkingeza ziko nbuga manji kona kate ngoi pinda futi ngi chane na kwa zomele nkale pa futi ngi itifend ngabe ngigute kakulu kupoxing kwa kage angsezu buyele ndu eni eye nzege mufa se nga itulisa gleo se ntege pambil manji and uh, looking forward now what's the next step for you Kshutoka manje joko bangisa pumule njengu sazo sala nefemili yame ngi celebrate for you in yam Kota ndo ebe ngisisa nedese ngenga ikuluma no manager wa mkholi Ugute ngatiku ngatipa la pekele ngonyaka Mesinga kwa menga kwa njukutoli chanti ngitifende lepa ande Ugute pelinaga sengili tifendile gaiwana well, Moruti, we wish you all the best. We know mm-hmm. that you are a superb fighter. Many people are happy uh, to see you back in the ring and, and, and to see you winning that IBF title. Mm-hmm. Well done, champ, and thank you for okay. speaking to us. That is Babyface Mtala Nemuruti. They have won that fight. The judges scoring it 114-113. Two judges and 116-110. The other fight, the other judge, or rather, and he basically says his goal going to Malaysia was to bring back the belt. That was his main focus. His preparations went very well. He had no complaints. He was very fit. He was knocked. Uh, he was knocked down later on, at, on, on in round 11 of that fight. Uh, but he believes that he, he says he did enough in the early rounds, and he's right because I watched that. He did enough in the early rounds to win it on a points, and he says it was a great experience to fight on a mini Pacquiao undercard but he didn't focus too much on that because he had a job to do and he thanked Colin Nathan they've got a great working relationship but he does admit that he was badly affected when he was stripped of his uh, IBF uh, about a couple of years ago because he was inactive having defended it uh, four times there and he believes that it could have been very far if um, he was if, if that did not happen but having said that his spirit is not broken he's looking ahead to the future even at the age of 35 and he wants to defend before for the end of the year and we wish him all the best of luck uh, babyface Muruti Mtalane up next we'll speak to SABC sports reporter and commentator Jody Hendricks to get to that story we couldn't get to yesterday it's about this year's super sport rugby challenge where unions have laid complaints against each other accusing each other of not playing according to the spirit and the values of the tournament which was supposed to be a development platform uh, for, pre- for, 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 for black players uh, basically and uh, I mentioned yesterday that uh, the Greek was complained uh, about the Pumas saying that they're not playing enough. They only picked out uh, two uh, black players in the semi-finals, the Pumas. So that's what led to the complaints from Greek was president Yanni Lowe. They only had one black player in their starting lineup in their semi-final win over the Sharks and also uh, just one black player on the bench. And it's in direct conflict with SA Rugby's transformation objectives uh, which uh, say that uh, the teams must have 45% uh, black representation in their match squad. We did invite Supersport. They referred us to the custodians of the game, SA Rugby. They said that they can't comment on this matter. Um, SA Rugby also obviously uh, did not uh, how do I put it they just didn't respond to our, to, our, to our message and it's not the first time it's happened so many times that we've asked SA Rugby to comment whether it's the coach whether it's comment on issues and they just clearly are not keen to come on this show Tabiso Musia on SAFM and I hope that's not the case because we really want to give them a platform to talk to the rugby-loving public here. But it's very difficult if uh, the mother body doesn't want to come and talk to the people, to the paying supporters, to the people who support their product. And I'm really not sure how we're going to get around this because I don't know what the problem is. I've got no history of bad relations with SA Rugby. I don't think I'm the only one, actually, uh, who struggles to get comment from SA Rugby. A lot of guys in the media struggle to get uh, comment from SA Rugby. And I'm really, really not sure why that is the case. But let's speak to Jody Hendricks to make us understand what is going on on here because there have been articles written. There was an article on Network 24. Uh, Net, is Network 24? I'm not sure what they call it. Um, it probably is 24. And there was also an article in the City Press on Sunday written by Simniki Klabanisa who says the competition needs a rethink. And Jody Hendricks joins us on the line. Good evening, Jody. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, Tabisho. Um, as a follower, as a rugby commentator yourself, do you agree that these teams are not playing this tournament in the right spirits and not living up to its values? Yeah, well, um, let's go back a bit. I, when the competition was launched last year, you know, there was a lot of fancy around things like development and taking rugby to the people. Now, two years later, uh, the unions have shown their true colors. And unfortunately, you know, players aren't being given an opportunity. 
And the thing with this tournament is that it was initially meant to give younger or, you know, as a development tournament like the Vodacom Cup did for 20 years uh, because when Super Rugby is um, ongoing, there, there's nothing much to do for the other unions. And unfortunately, you know, it hasn't worked out that well. Mm. Um, on paper, it makes sense. And on paper, you'd think, you know, wonderful, but if you look at what's happening Saturday in and Saturday out, not really happening. Are they manipulating the system here? I think the unions are, and uh, there's a lot of things that we can go on into. The fact of the matter is that they are not being giving people an opportunity. And it comes down to who they're selecting in the teams, who they're selecting as the coaches. Um, you know, for example, the Super Sport Challenge can also be an opportunity for young black coaches to get an opportunity. Mm. And that's not what's happening. And I think it's because... You know, the unions don't take it seriously. I, I don't think we need to criticize ESA rugby too much. Their they stance is quite clear to be so that, you know, if you read the document, it's quite clear. It's the implementation from the unions that's letting um, the players down. But who needs to hold them accountable? Because Supersport directed us to SA Rugby, and we're trying to find out. I mean, if they're manipulating the system, yeah, there are clearly loopholes, but somebody needs to hold them accountable. They can't get away with this. ESA Rugby is made up of the 14 unions, so they're not going to be too harsh against the unions, especially, um, you know, if they don't have the buy-in from all the unions, especially we know that two of the unions did not sign the transformation target, so they really can't be held accountable. And that's also part of the problem is that it's not law, it's, it's transformation targets. What can happen is that, for example, a team like the Pumas can come at the end of the season and say, OK, unfortunately, we didn't reach our target. It wasn't set in rule. And I think, yeah, the sponsors need to take responsibility um, in this case Supersport because if, if Supersport super sport felt it's a rugby that listen here, you guys are, are messing up, uh, we're going to, even though it's a five-year deal or whatever, we might uh, cut it short, then, then it's a rugby will, will take note and take action. Until then, you know, I think the Super Supersport and whoever else the sponsors are um, they're not reaching the objective of what they said like two years ago. You mentioned the Puma saying that they, re- they were one of the two unions who refused to sign the transformation objectives at document. Are you then surprised that they are the union that is accused by the Greek was of manipulating the system and not fielding these black players? Not at all. And you have, unfortunately, if you look at most of the 14 unions, um, it's everybody for themselves. Everybody wants what's in it for them. Um, in the case of the Pumas, they are not going to um, weaken the team by giving guys an opportunity or, or reaching a transformation target because they, there's 500,000 rand prize money um, up for grabs. And I think that's why they, 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 they didn't back down or didn't um, buy into this whole thing this year. Um, uh, it will be interesting to see what they did last year and also if they're going forward, um, if they'll do the same, for example, um, when the Curry Cup starts later, then we can definitely point fingers at them. Well, uh, the Greeks were the ones that lodged the complaint, and I want to read what uh, President Yanni Lowe said. Um, he said that uh, contracting models should be of such a nature that even when a team is experiencing an injury crisis, as the Pumas claim, you need to be able to fulfill your targets. But how, how can we sit in boardrooms and make collective decisions on transformation and then not apply it? This is not a case of sour grapes. It's a problem that needs to be addressed because the Pumas came back and said that all their black players are injured. That's why they can't fill them. Do you buy that, Jody? Not for one second. Uh, if you look at your squad uh, and you know what your transformation targets are to be, so then you contract your squad according to what your transformation targets are. If your transformation target says, I need 45% of black players or players of color uh, in my match day 23, and then you have a squad of 46, then obviously you'll, if you want to reach your object, objective, you, you, you contract the squad that, that represents that. So if you're saying... I'm only looking after my starting 15 or starting 23, and then all of a sudden you have a couple of injuries and you can't read the transformation target. Then you, from it's the top down, it goes, then from the top, you're failing the system. Hmm. 
And what do you make of the complaint by the Greek president, Yanni Lo? Is it genuine? Because this is the same president that was on this very same show a couple of months ago uh, when we asked him about an incident where a white player shoved the old SA flag in the face of a black player and he described it as a joke and he couldn't, he, he just didn't seem to, to comprehend the seriousness of it. Um, what do you make of his complaint? Is it is it genuine or was he trying to play mind games and trying to get the Pumas to play more black players? And if that's the case, then he probably thinks that the black players would weaken the Pumas. I just I just find it hard to think that it's genuine. I think there's definitely some politicking going around. Um, in terms of because of the incident with the flag, uh, that I said that was an isolated incident. Uh, I don't know if we can take that as a joke, as you said. And if they want to force the Pumas to select the guys that they think will weaken the team, I think uh, that says a lot about how they view black players in South Africa. Uh, as for Greek was themselves, they actually have a proud record of, of giving players of color opportunities. And But if they think, you know, they, they, they give these guys an opportunity and they have made, they've been successful because they've reached the, the final as well with their players. Yeah. I think that's five in their team. But if they think that the Pumas will be weakened by black players, it says a lot about how their leadership views um, transformation as well in South Africa, even though they got it, and I have to give them credit, got it right to a certain extent in South Africa. Um, politicking, definitely, and I think uh, it's basically just to take uh, the focus away from 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 the, the, the from the final that was, and the, the, the two unions were. Um, in Afrikaans, they, they say a back of it, they, you know, they, they did the talking, but they didn't do the playing. What about the issue of matches being played in communities? Because this was one of the things that we were told when this uh, tournament was launched. I remember receiving that press release and we were told that they're going to take the games to Wazakele, Sisa Tukashe and all these uh, other areas where rugby doesn't usually go to. But it seems like even this is not happening as as, as, as it's supposed to. Uh, as far as I know, the coastal teams, the Sharks, uh, the Eastern Cape, uh, Western Cape, they've done it uh, successfully. And they've had, uh, at one point, I think, also triple leaders where various teams um, played um, in, in townships and, and in places where rugby was not traditionally played. Uh, inland, I, I know there's a problem where, uh, for example, the, the union did not want to move away from their traditional base. Um, Again, it, you, you have to look at it on an on a individual basis from each of the unions, and we can go back into the reports, and then we can see how many of them actually took the game uh, to the people, as, 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 as was mentioned in the, when the tournament was started eventually, and for them to also um, you know, expose it to a new audience, because that yeah. was one of the things they wanted to do, was to take it to traditional um, rugby playing communities, but also expose it to your audience who's not familiar, for example, with a team like the Pumas or Greekos. And um, I think some failed, And but as far as I know, the coastal teams did it successfully. Yes, and Western Province, one of those teams, credit to them. I'm told that the coach, John Dobson, actually, when they go to these stadiums like a Sisa Dugashe Stadium, he actually gives his team a history lesson about Sisa Dugashe and, and, and where they are. And credit to Western Province for living up to the values and the spirit of the tournament. Finally, Jody, you spoke about 500,000 rand prize money. As far as I understand, Curry Cup has no money. I could be wrong, but you'll correct me. You're the expert. Do you think that this could be the problem and should this tournament be incentivized if it's about development? I think, you know, if you win the tournament, you should definitely get something. I think if you if you go of the objectives of the tournament and you, as I said, everything that's set out in paper, you, you, you achieve all those objectives as well. Maybe they should give you a little bit of a bonus because that's, a tournament like this is actually not needed in South Africa. I said a couple of years ago, the four South African franchises were each uh, select a squad of 30 players out of the country. So out of all the unions, they select, they select 120 out of, of the best rugby players in South Africa. Those who aren't good enough to play super rugby aren't good enough. Let them go to the club and let them play club rugby and you know make club rugby better that way. That way you'll get your... Guys who maybe two weeks ago played super rugby, they will then go into that communities and play club rugby and not um, mm. have a tournament where I don't really think it's needed. Um, you can use that 500,000 rand or the, the budget for the tournament and pump it into club rugby and have an impact on, 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 on at, 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 at grassroots level. And for me, that's where I, I'm not a big fan of this tournament. I don't think it's needed. 
but it's here. Uh, I think they still got another two or three years to go on it. Uh, it's uh, the unions are obviously not taking it seriously because they're not um, um, going after the objective that was set out in the tournament. So for me, uh, you know, where there's money, I think the money can be spent better at club level. Um, and for me, that's that, that would if the if each of the four Super Rugby playing unions and the two Pro 14 unions each have a squad of 30 players, and those who aren't good enough, let them go and play club rugby, and let's get rid of this uh, development tournament because it's not reaching its object, objective to be so. Okay, thanks, Jody Hendricks, SABC a sports reporter and commentator, just giving us insight into this tournament. But is the prize money in Curry Cup, quickly? There is prize money in Curry Cup. I think it's uh, oh. around about, it could be a million or more. Um, I oh, stand okay. to be corrected, but I know that the they got a sponsor two years ago, um, but, and the, I think the winning team gets a, a, a few million. Okay, no, thanks, jo- jo- Jody. It's a pity we had to ask you for answers because we'd invited uh, Supersport, as I said. Uh, they referred us to Saru. Saru also didn't get back to us. We would have loved to just find out if the sponsors are aware of this or whether the mother body is aware of what's happening. And if they are concerned, if they're not concerned, it's fine. They can tell us they're not concerned. Uh, but don't come out and say the tournament is about this and then that's not happening. And uh, it's, it's it's just a make-me-nice project at the end of the day. Then it takes away from everything that the tournament is about. But up next, we'll talk about the business of sport, looking at the top five global sports industry trends this is safm hashtag safm sport on Let's look at the business of sport. Now, I mentioned a couple of months ago, I was invited to a Nelson breakfast. I went to go check it out, what it was about, even though I was late, but I was blown away uh, by by, by the bit that I caught. And I invited then uh, the person who was in charge of this, uh, Mr. Calvin Watt, just to come to studio and to make us understand what are these global trends. He's the MD of Nelson Sports in Africa, Middle East and Asia. And he joins us in studio. Mr. Watt, good evening and thank you for your time, sir. Good evening to be so. It's great to be with the award-winning uh, sports journalist to be so much here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As you can see, we come a long way from a <laughs> previous do. life in another radio station. Tell us, firstly, how do you come up with these trends? What do you monitor? Do you speak to people? How does it work? Do you look at data? Absolutely. So, obviously, look, we have access to the biggest data source with respect to the sports industry, from sponsorship to broadcast rights to ticketing information that that exists in the world today. But what we do every year towards the back end of the year, December and then into early January, is we go and talk to the major uh, marketing, chief marketing officers, head of sponsorships for the biggest sponsors right around the world, literally from, you know, the East, um, Japan, Korea, uh, China, Australia, New Zealand, all the way into North and South America and everything in between. Um, in addition to that, we talk to rights owners, the biggest rights owners in the world. So obviously in the U.S., people like the NBA, the NFL, Major League Soccer, mm. uh, baseball, uh, world cricket, for example. So literally everyone, national federations, international federations, big teams, um, obviously the big football teams, the big you know NFL teams, NBA teams. Um, and literally down into some of the, 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 the smaller sports as well and then into agencies and things like that. So it's really talking to the people that make the sports industry work, mm. taking all of this data, aggregating it, and trying to find what are the common themes that, that are coming through. And previously, we've always come up with, with 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, we were able to, we really narrowed it down to five big giant themes uh, of what's taking place in the sports industry around the world. And, and from a South African context, we see these mostly very, very similarly. In some respects, we're ahead of the curve, and some we're behind the curve. Um, you know, so things that relate to technology and the internet, for example, because of our lack of bandwidth and some of the issues that we struggle with, we're slightly behind. Um, and in others, we're actually we, we're doing pretty well. Um, so it, it's always an interesting study, and it's it's um, yeah, that that's really how it gets put together. And and who are you hoping to reach with all this information that you've picked up? Who are the people that you need to share it with, and we need to hear this? Who are the people in that room, that breakfast that I attended? Well, at the one that you came to, they were a combination of people from the sports industry. So it was literally rights owners, um, team owners, federations, through to sponsors, agencies that work either for rights owners or for those federations. Uh, some athletes, very interestingly, we had the first time a couple of athletes come along, people who started to take the world in, you know, a little bit into their own hands. And I think once we start talking about some of these themes, and I'm sure it's something that you've seen, you know, I think the, the individual athlete today, he doesn't necessarily need his route to market is not necessarily through his team or through a broadcaster mm-hmm. because of social and digital media. And we're growing up a, a generation of athletes who, you know, the, the, their future is almost in their hands and their ability to create content and um, and to sort of, you know, deliver directly to their fans who they are as opposed to 
letting their perhaps their team or a federation decide who they are and how they how they you know portrayed out in the media and to sponsors mm. i've got the report i've gone through it uh, there seems to be a feeling of change firstly before we go into the trends a rapid change why is, is that the case and why is that um, I, th- I think it's been building on it on the back of a couple of things. I mean, obviously, one is technology. Um, and, you know, technology is, is fundamentally changing everything. And if you look at some of the trends that, that of those five major trends, you know, the, the first one being the distributor disruption really looks at, at this whole thing of streaming and digital and, you know, the changing face of broadcast. And, I mean, you could probably have a show entirely where we just talk about how we mm. watch television today, how, how the youth are watching, and the fact that they aren't watching linear TV like we would, or we certainly, you know, someone as old as me, not as someone as young as you. <laughs> but, um, you know, that we would sit and wait till next Tuesday for the following episode of our next program. Today, if you like it, you download it and you watch it. And, and sport is very similar. You know, the sort of things that we're seeing is that I don't necessarily have to sit at home if I want to watch the football. I can sit at Four Ways Farmers Market on a Sunday afternoon with my friends, have a glass of whatever is my fancy and continue to watch, you know, my favorite football team or wherever that might be, um, Saturday night, Friday night, Wednesday evenings and, you know, everything in between. Um, so technology is playing a big part and obviously that's a big part of is, is the esports evolution, which we will talk yeah. about. It's a very big part about content. And, you know, one of the big things that we talk about is just the importance of content um, and that ability to create content and technology. You know, literally the phone you carry in your pocket allows you to to do probably more than someone as a journalist could do with a TV crew. Yeah. Four, five, ten, fifteen years ago, you were able to do it on your own wherever you are. But so is the athlete, um, and so are the federations, etc. So, technology is driving a lot of that. Um, the other bit that's really changing is is what we talk about sports in our changing society, and, and I think we've seen it. You know, you saw it with what happened at FIFA, uh, yeah. with the changing face of what isn't isn't acceptable. We've seen it with respect to drugs and sport around cycling. We've seen it with the growth of women's sport. So, society is changing, and so you're getting this. Technology changing, society changing, certainly leading to to a lot of the rapid change that you're seeing. So it's almost been this momentum that's built up over the last five years, and it's really spilling over into into you know creating a momentum of its own at present. Okay, you've touched on the distributor disruption. Um, does this mean that uh, a pay because we pay to watch sport? Does it mean that it's it's in trouble with the new players coming on board, and um, are they challenging the traditional sports media the way we're watching sport? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely, they are. You know, I mean, I think it's it's you know it's it's well documented. You just have to see what's going on in some of the regulatory hearings that are taking place yes. currently, and and you know the well documented things that are taking place there. And it's it's not only an issue for sport; it's certainly an issue for for all sorts of content. And you see, you know, the discussions about whether Netflix should be regulated and yeah. should they be paying license fees and and, and you know etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, absolutely, um, they're, they're a challenge. Um, are they going to make a big impact in the sports world? I think that's still to be seen. There's there's a lot of work to do in that space. And, you know, I think the one thing that, that stands in the favor of the traditional broadcasters and certainly the pay television broadcasters around the world is that no financial model yet around sport has been as viable as the pay television broadcast rights fees for sports. So sport will continue to, to favor the subscription model because it gives them a, a great deal of certainty. Um, you know, and, and you just have to have a look at some of the the deals that have been done in the broadcast rights space in, I guess, in in the last year or so. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with some of those, mm-hmm. the size of some of those deals. To be said, but I mean, NFL, for example, their Thursday night football, Fox paid six hundred and fifty million dollars a year, up from four hundred and fifty million dollars. That was just done in twenty eighteen. The um, the NBA's league pass rights went to Verizon, which is a, which is their mobile rights for four hundred million dollars. Per year, the Indian Premier League went to five hundred and ten million dollars um, for their broadcast rights a deal that was concluded in, in in February March. So, you know, when it comes to those federations, they're going to like to see that sort of money coming in. So, certainly, is message is a challenge from streaming and from a lot of these other challenges, and we're going to see them coming into into play more and more. There's no doubt that that rights are expensive, and the return on investment is very tough for those streaming businesses. Um, whereas, you know, the pay television model certainly works both for pay TV, but it also works for sport currently.
And we've seen also with Formula One, uh, Liberty Sports Media, when they came through, they went big on digital media, which wasn't done before under Benny Ecclestone. And they said that they are seeing a positive result. For those who've just joined us, by the way, we're speaking to Mr. Kelvin Watt. And we're just talking about the global trends in a sport around uh, around the world, obviously, (coughs) the global trends. And uh, he's the MD um, of Nelson Sports in Africa, Asia and um, the Middle East, right? The Middle East, The Middle East, yes. Interesting place. so, 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 what does this mean? These new players that are coming through now, what does it mean uh, as far as competition is concerned? Are we going to pay higher, or is it going to reduce what we pay for pay sports TV for 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 paid sports TV? Well, you know, I th- I think perhaps if we want to sort of look at what the future is in some respects, I think we probably need to look. I don't think we'll be quite the same, but I think we need to look at what happened in the music industry. You know, and I think there was a time in the music industry where if you spoke to people that you could for free download, so, you know, it would it was just never going to work and the music industry will collapse. Well, the music industry hasn't collapsed and you can download for, for far better price than what you were paying for music. So I think what it'll lead is to different financial models. Um, you know, one one of the things we're looking at is so who are the tech giants that are going to come through and and actually make the plays in the end? And if you start looking at who's out there, you know, there's the YouTube and Apple that people talk about. Uh, YouTube have have acquired some rights for Major League Soccer, for example, in the US. Um, Apple have got lots of money. Uh, they've got existing video content businesses. They've got enormous reach, so they've got opportunity. In a China, for example, you have Tencent, who are already a major oh, yes. sports content player in China, and they have the cash to expand overseas. And um, you probably know that they've got a, a link to South Africa with yes, Nasbass yes, as a major shareholder. <laughs> so they're a player. Then we have contenders like Twitter and DAZN in Europe, um, neither of whom really have the spending power to get into the space, and they probably don't have the business models to support um, a sustainable financial model going forward. The two players that we think are really the ones to watch, and, and interesting, there's been some play on them in the recent, is Amazon and Facebook. Mm-hmm. The reason that Amazon and Facebook are realistic is that they both have a business model as as broad businesses that could support generating enough revenue to pay rights fees to the rights owners. And interestingly, I think it was on the 10th of July, so just over a week ago, Facebook actually acquired the rights to the English Premier League to broadcast in Southeast Asia and the Middle East so from mm. BN, so in places like India and that. So a big push for Facebook into India, using English Premier League rights as the thing and, and obviously putting it on their Facebook watch platform. So really an interesting one to watch. So those are the those are probably the two to, to really watch. And, and, you know, it's people like Rupert Murdoch are saying the one that's coming at sport is Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg has been quoted as saying, I see video as a mega trend. That's why I'm, uh, I'm going to keep putting video first across our family of apps. So... You're really seeing that, you know, they're certainly coming at it hard. Uh, they launched Watch, you know, about 40% people in the U.S. now are using Watch on a weekly basis to watch um, various programming, sport and other. So it was only launched late in, in mm. 2017 in, in the U.S. So they're really interesting. Uh, Jeff Bezos out of Amazon says we get to monetize our subscription video in a very unusual way. And, and when we win the Golden Globe, it helps us sell more shoes. So, you know, they they seeing that. That, that that ability because they're able to to distribute um, merchandise and various other things they're going to be able to generate enough revenue to pay for broadcast rights and when you see the importance of merchandising I don't know if you saw the Ronaldo stat on day one yes. 520,000 yes. jerseys sold on day one with his name on it that's about 36 million euros in turnover by the way and the previous said that sold, they'll sold just uh, about 700 or something yeah so it, it's extraordinary um you know, so Amazon, for example, last year spent $4.5 billion on video content. And, and one of the things where Amazon, for example, is really interesting at the moment is they're, they've been acting as a broadcaster. They've acquired exclusive and non-exclusive rights for things like NFL Thursday Night Football, ATB World Tour, US Open Tennis, the German Bundesliga, Pro Beach Volleyball. So they've done a lot of that. They've started to aggregate a lot of sport um, on their Amazon channel. So they, they let their prime users access third-party sports via their channels. But most interesting about them, and they're the first one to go into this, is they're also becoming a producer. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that stood in the way, and, and, and you'll know in a South African context, one of the powers of Supersport, one of the things that makes them really good at what they do, is being a great producer of content. Sure. They're a fantastic producer of sport. We, we're very, yeah. very fortunate both here and South Africa and across the continent to have someone who produces sport so well. But we're starting to see Amazon starting to play in this space, and they're busy doing a Le Mans um, broadcast at the moment they're doing a very interesting documentary called all or nothing with the nfl they're currently producing something with the new zealand all blacks with manchester city university of michigan football and doing a big piece with la liga so 
really interesting to start seeing that they're starting to really take the broadcasters on at a production level, not only at a distribution level, which I really start, you know, this is starting to see that the, the competition is starting to to climb up and, and we're going to start seeing some, some action. And, and it, it is causing, it's causing a huge amount of dust, uh, uh, sort of reaction mm. amongst the big broadcasters with mergers and those sort of things taking place. Well, if you've just joined us again, we're talking to Mr. Kelvin Watt about the global trends and uh, in sport basically. And um, we will uh, tackle trend two after the break. And for me, it's a big one. Esports evolution. You are now seeing it on TV. Um, I've seen the, ch- the world championships. It's packed. They're winning a lot of money. It is unbelievable how um, esports has become so big and it, 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 it's and it's picking up also here in South Africa and uh, we're going to talk about that after the break. Catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7pm Before we get to the esports evolution Kelvin, I just got a question here on social media they said i must ask you why is the national first division sponsorless and the matches are not televised uh, on tv are you able to shed any light into this no okay i can i can tell you i've done this before the sh- the show on a previous radio station and we have been told that Supersport have the rights to show the nfd they've got the rights to show the national first division but they just don't show it um and i really don't know why let's move on now so can to, I, maybe yeah? that's a great place to inject is one of the big opportunities that we're seeing is is and, and if you go for example to the nfl model the nfl have actually gone to a very interesting model to make sure that you get a breadth of consumption because you can understand from a super sport perspective they want to be showing the best stuff in the world because that's what they've got. They've got this platform to do that. But it doesn't mean that people don't want to watch the mm. NFL. In fact, there's probably as big an audience for that because there's a lot of community teams yes. and people like it, and we've seen interest in that. And, and so, for example, what the NFL does is it's it splits its broadcast rights deal. So it has a free-to-air deal with CBS, Fox, and NBC. It has a pay TV deal with ESPN and DirecTV. It has its own direct-to-consumer, so it streams direct-to-consumers who subscribe to its channel, and and they do it to about 70 million U.S. homes, stream it directly. They have a mobile deal through Verizon, which I spoke about earlier, and then they have an OTT option. So they've literally taken all the different options, and they've split it up. So the OTT option, for example, which is the streaming option um, with, with Twitter and Amazon, is Thursday night football only. So if you want Thursday night football, that's you where you that get it. Platform. If you want free-to-air football, you, you know, you don't get every game. And, and you know, one of the things that, you know, I think it's an issue with rugby. You spoke about rugby earlier and the transformation of rugby. And while I'm on this subject, it's one of my hobby horses, and SA Rugby know it well for me, is until we see rugby on a free-to-air channel, yeah. rugby is going to continue to grow, and it's got a massive problem in this country. And what we should be seeing is a very similar model to what we perhaps see in the PSL and what we see with international cricket here is that, you know, you don't get every PSL game on the SABC, but you at least get one or two games every weekend. And that's sure. good for football. What's good for football is good for its sponsors and everyone else. So I gave you a very short no. Maybe you can read into my answer. But I can, yes. Yes, yes. there are many ways. <laughs> There's a lot there of reasons many why ways to do it. it there are have, many yeah. ways to do it. Let's get to trend two, the evolution of eSports. I mentioned, I mean, people are, are world champions. They're winning a million dollars. I've seen the tournaments on TV. Take us through this phenomenon. Well, it is a, it is a phenomenon. And, and for many years in, in our trends, we've been talking about the eSports revolution and saying, watch this. This is coming. Um, this is the first year we've called it the eSports evolution. And the reason we're calling it the eSports revolution Evolution is because it's no longer a revolution. It's here. It's big. It's mainstream. Um, it's not children. It's not nerds sitting in downstairs <laughs> in the basement playing on their computers. I know you're one of those. <laughs> is it gross? It is. It's men. It's women. It's old. It's young. It's everyone. Um, people are gaming that don't even know they're gamers. Uh, you know, so people are, are, are involved in this space. Mm. Um I think one of the most interesting things and, and why we're starting to talk about it as an evolution is what we're starting to see in the esports space is esports is starting to behave like traditional sports. No Certainly way. from our perspective in terms of how they set themselves up commercially, how they do sponsorship deals, how they do broadcast deals. And that's why we're actually seeing it's it stopped revolutionizing. It's here, it's mainstream. Now it's evolutionizing and it's starting to fix up its its commercial fundamentals. So who's setting up these tournaments? Who's organizing esports? Man, everyone. The players, everyone, do they have a federation? Everyone, Is it the game everyone, developers? Everyone, 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 Even everyone. Even the people who make the games, are they involved? Everyone's involved. And uh, you know, you know, I think that's the thing. Right now, tapping into the power of esports is the top priority of the publishers, the brands, media, and traditional sports. And I think that's something we, we in this section we really need to talk about is traditional sports yeah. role. Um, you know, so, for example, when we go to NBA uh, to, um, 
2K and things like yes. that, where you start to see that, you know, FIFA, um, I mean, you're probably aware, I don't know if you are, yeah. the 4th of August, a big date, mm-hmm. uh, the, the E-FIFA World Cup Finals will be at the O2 <laughs> Arena in London, London. Um, you know, so it, it really is, it's, it's everyone's getting into that space, and what we're seeing, it, it, the whole industry is developing rapidly, there's new tournaments, there's new investors, there's new teams, there's new ways of consuming the content, and it's all growing to this contributing, I guess, to this growing esports culture that, that, that we see. And the reality is, I mean, I can tell you from our side, from whether it be our sponsors, I've had rights owners, the Lions Rugby, the yeah. Sharks, Cricket South Africa, the NBA here, and all come and talk to me, I want to talk about esports. Um, and, and that's really what's going on. And, and we really can say that there's no partner or prospect at the moment that isn't interested in it, trying to understand it. We were with a, quite a prominent bank this morning. Tell me about esports. Um, you know, are there people playing at pros? Do you refer to them as pros? Absolutely, they are. <sighs> and you know, they live in a house. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit about, but but you know, um, there's a team I know a little bit about called White Rabbit Gaming. They've been mm-hmm. around in South Africa for some time. They represented at, at Dota in, in China last year. They have a house here, not too far, in fact, from from where we're sitting at in yeah. Auckland Park. Um, five guys live, sleep, play in that house. Uh, sleep mostly during the day, around three, four in the afternoon. They've got a games room all set up with their consoles and everything they need, and they start playing against people from around the world and practicing as they go into tournaments. And they literally play until the early hours of the morning, uh, sleep, eat, and they live in that house. They're paid by the owner of that team uh, to be there. Um, They're now starting to to pick up sponsors, and their job is to play. So how big is it here in South Africa? It's big. It's growing. it's certainly got some way to go. You know, I think some of the events, we, we you know, we've we recently seen sort of the VS Gaming Festivals, um, Rush, some of the things that you're familiar yes, with. Yes, I saw those they're recently. probably not into into positive numbers. Again, I look at it at the eye of someone who's been around sports events. They, they It's probably costing them money still. Um, I'm not sure that they're making money out of it. But there's certainly some big investments starting to get played into that space. Some interesting people that are starting to take ownership positions in that but space. But what's the return on investment for the sponsor here with eSports? Um you know, right right now we've seen um, the, the the sort of people that are that have been getting involved and perhaps getting a return. Um, you know, the, the, there's no surprise that you've seen recently Vodacom get involved, Telcom, and people like that. And obviously, their return is you playing on their data, and they're making money. You're starting to see people like Asus and their technology. So what we call those endemic brands. A lot of the endemic brands that are playing in there, they they're either selling you consoles. So it's Dell Computers in South Africa put out a gaming study today, for example, around them. So Samsung and Dell and all of those sort of people are playing. Um, what hasn't happened yet in South Africa, and which we are starting to see around the world, is what we call the non-endemic sponsors. People who don't, who aren't part of that world necessarily. So Gillette have made a huge sponsorship into the Extreme Masters World Championship in 2017. C-Smart, the gaming, was in the VS Gaming League in 2017. Mercedes-Benz has started to sponsor one of ES, is, is a sponsor of ESL, for example. So we started to see some some big investment. And the reason these people are investing in those territories is 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 the, the young, wealthy, mostly male audiences and participants, because that's a tough nut to crack in the marketing world. So if you look in the South African context, your average esports fan um, on our current data, we actually yesterday went into a market into a massive national esports study, which we're very excited about. The results will be out about the end of August. So I'll, I'll come and talk to you about those. Sure. But the average fan is about 25 to 34 male earning 4,000 to 25,000 rand a month. That's a key demographic for a lot of brands. So I think what we're going to start seeing is a lot of in non-endemic sponsors starting to make their play into into esports and when we see that you'll really start to see money in the game of esports and i think that's when you'll start seeing um teams players and even the events starting to make some money right now the events are probably not making money the teams are being funded by either wealthy individuals or someone who's taking a punt and the players are playing professionally probably not in the league of footballers and you know massive salaries but they they're earning a living um mm. playing those Playing, okay. playing games on their computers. <laughs> Unbelievable. What am I doing here? I should be at home playing games, man. Well, um, <laughs> and, 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 and the young, you know, I don't know how much you know about the, the, the eSport, the qualifiers here, yeah. um, which was at VS Gaming when we had the road to the FIFA World Cup. And, yes, and I mean, Taubu Malloy, who, yes. who's the young kid, 16 years that. old, is a South African champion. Him. So he's representing us in the eWorld Sports. And I think his prize money... I know the total pool was one and a half million. I think he won six hundred or eight hundred thousand rand. He's sixteen years old to be so. 
It's not a bad day out. Let's get out of here, man. We're in the wrong profession. Up next, I want us to quickly run through the last three trends uh, for the sake of time. Call Tabiso now. 0891-104-207. Somebody on social media says that the PSL must not be shy to ask Kelvin for advice to package their broadcast right. I think from listening to this invita- to this conversation, they really need him. Let's run through the last three. Content rules was the, was, was the other one. Sponsorship to partnership. And also the last one is sports in our changing society. Take us through these three. Well, I, th- I think the first one about content rules, you know, we've really become a world of mobile first. So, you know, from the streaming and the digital disruption, as we spoke about, you know, everything is first on our phones. And because of that, we're consuming so much content on a daily basis. But the type of content that we're able to to access is just phenomenal. And the people who are producing the best content are the ones that are winning. Um, you know, the best certainly in the world. And for any of you that are out there that, that are interested in this subject, don't be shy to follow the NBA. They really are fantastic at what they do, the, the teams, clubs, and everything about what they do is, is really good. Yeah. Don't throw away what's happening in South Africa. There's some extraordinary stuff coming out of this country from a content perspective. Uh, currently, we've got the Tour de France on. One of my favorite companies that I watch, and I, I see that they've recently been named as a finalist in the Sports Industry Awards is a, is a little business here called T&W in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. They were the original guys who did the Protea Fire stuff for Cricket South oh, Africa. Yeah, 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 They're producing yeah. all this content that you've seen coming out of uh, Team Dimension Data, Tour de France. They do all of Laureus World Sports stuff. So, you know, the guys that are really starting to do well, and I think one of the most exciting things, for example, in this space is that Dimension Data Cycling Sponsorship won the biggest sponsorship award in the UK this year. Uh, for the work that they've done. And a lot of it's about this really rich content that they're sending about. And, and the real message there is that if sports businesses aren't innovating, they're under big threat. And they've got to be innovating in terms of owning and, and deliberately creating this fantastic um, content that grabs people's attentions. Um, you know, one of the bits, my favorite, and, and another guy that I love to read about is a guy called Adam Silver, who's the commissioner of yes, the NBA. Yes, he has a fantastic quote, which I want you to think about more and a lot of what you do is that games are the meals and highlights are the snacks. And what he's really started to look at is that we've become a snacking society in the way that we live and the way that we do everything on the move. And so the sports that are going to do well is, yes, you'll have your live games on Saturday, but the ones that really sustain their fan base are the ones that can give their fans snacks throughout the week, all mm-hmm. the time, just little bits and pieces of content um, that are that are tasty. Well, NBA is very good at and, that. And, and they're fantastic at it. They yeah. really are. So they, they're really good to to watch that. So that's really what the content space is about. What's also happening there is you're getting things like voice activation, virtual reality, AI, augmented reality. So there's just so much happening in this space. And what it's also leading to is a lot of the importance of influencers and people. So we spoke mm-hmm. about the NBA. I don't know if you can remember nearly a year back, the NBA Africa game. Yeah. They had people like Nomzama Mbata, Sian Gwekazi, the influencers and what a great job they did. And I I heard today they've got a fantastic influencer lined up for this year, which mm. I'm going to let them announce. It's not for me to, okay. but it's, it's really exciting for them. Um, so we're starting to see that role of people. But what we're also seeing in the content space is athletes as influencers, the growing, the power and the value. And, and probably the, you know, I'm going to call them using the their social media platforms. Absolutely. Using their social media, but being good at creating content. They create content that their fans want to see. And there's no better, no one better than King James. LeBron James is just in another league, 35 million followers um, on his social media platforms, 140 million interactions last year, 118 million video views. And if you go and look into a lot of what he does, there's a consistent theme of his sneakers. Um, You know, it's about tackies and he does it in such a cool way. Um, So it it, it really is fantastic. So content's all about that. Let's run through sponsorship to partnership now and sponsorship to partnership is is probably the most technical thing in our sport. It's really just saying that that and it probably goes back to our rights owners in this country, they need to be far better at what they do. They need to understand brands and corporates far better. They're not just simply telling, selling them tickets and logos. They're selling them a far deeper relationship. Um, and so brands are looking for, for a lot more um, in terms of, of their objectives. They're not just looking for visibility. They're looking for brand marketing, product marketing, business-to-business opportunities, CSR opportunities, employee engagement opportunities. So it just means that the rights owners need to be far better at what they do and understand brands and businesses far better. And that's that's really what sits in that space. It's a, it's a big challenge to rights owners, not only here but around the world. Um, and it's one that we're going to see the industry work really hard at going forward. Do they also have a responsibility to address social issues now, the, 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 the brands? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the brands are are pushing for it. You know, it's one thing that the brands are really pushing for. They realize that society has changed in so many ways. Um, And and really, I think they started to become, and and, I mean, you'll understand where I come from on this, and it's not always true of every sport, but generally, 
there's an understanding that what's good for society is good for the sports business. You know, in a lot of respects, certain sport businesses have often behaved like they a bit mm. above what's going on in society, and, mm. and, and you can name the names. I don't mm. need to. <laughs> um, but brands are seeking an authentic purpose. Sports are rethinking what they stand for. We're starting to see diversity in professional sport is accelerating, and diversity of, in, in so many ways, and you know, whether it's male, female, um, you know, race, gender, all of these issues, young, old, and, and various things like that. And um, it, and it's a delicate space. You know, sport and the reputation of sport around the world for many reasons is in a delicate space. And it's going to go into a very delicate space if we look at the next four-year cycle of where some of the big events in the world are going to. So FIFA's next move into Qatar is going to be very interesting in this space for us to watch uh, as they play that space. But, you know, we're seeing some major changes. You know, it sounds crazy, but Saudi Arabia in yes, December. you mentioned that at the breakfast. For I the first that. time ever, women were allowed into the stadium to watch football. Now, you know, for us, it seems crazy. But it's a massive, massive change in that society. So a very positive change for, for everyone and, and, a, and a positive change for the game of football um, in, in that territory, for example. So, you know, uh, corporate social responsibility is involved and, and it's become a central part of brand marketing. And what we're starting to see is a similar thing in sport. And I, I mean, I spoke about Team Dimension Data. Um, yeah. They link up into into sort of raising money for bicycles and, and things like that. So, the, And it's really a, a fundamental driver of what makes that team different at the Tour de France. And it's not only important for us, it's important for everyone across Europe are recognizing yeah. that this team stands for much more than just a cycling team. Yes, and we did speak to them actually before the Tour de France and they and, told us about and, what they do. And similar things, you know, we saw the United Against Women Abuse with Chiefs and Pirates this year, Pink Day with Cricket, uh, yes. the Bicycles, you know, the whole Quebec thing we've seen and, and some really fantastic responses from both the public um, but, but also from you know, from, from the sports people themselves. And the other bit is just people getting fit. And one of my favorite ones in this space is, is Parkrun, just this massive yes, growth we spoke to Bruce organization. About it. It's, it's just a fantastic thing. And, and it's fundamentally changing road running in South Africa because people are just getting out there and walking, then jogging, then running five kilometers. And then they're deciding, well, I can do the Comrades Marathon. So, you know, it, it, it's it's incredible how these things are. are, are there's this drive through um yeah, no, that one, quite, that one is and then, really And then really lastly, really just women. And I think that's, you know, we've certainly seen it at football right now. I, I have no doubt that Banyana Banyana are probably our, our highest performing, mm-hmm. but also one of our most popular teams out there right now. From a cricket perspective, our women have come from pretty much nowhere to being a really important part of the cricket makeup. And they've got contracts, um, thanks to Saka, Tony Irish and them. Absolutely. If, unfortunately, we are out of time, Kelvin. I think we're going to have to bring you back again because there's so much to talk about, especially women in sports and why they are struggling to attract sponsorship, especially here in South Africa. So I think we're very naive to think we could do this in 40 minutes. We clearly can't. We're going to have to reschedule it again as well as talk about esports. But that is our time. Uh, Kelvin, thank you very much, Kelvin Watt, for coming into studio and speaking to us. MD for Nelson in Africa, Asia and the Middle East. Is the fascinating conversation, and we'll put up the podcast um, uh, after the show uh, or very early in the morning. And a lot of people are saying, please go work for the PSL, but that will take us another hour to discuss. Let's leave it there. Thank you, Luyolo. Thank you, Tebuko Khadebe. Thank you to Sylvester. Mr. Ashraf Gara is up next on The Viewpoint. Dr. Julius Gavi, founder and medical director of Gavi Vascular Specialist from the USA, will be the guest. But firstly, news is next.